All right, welcome everyone to Why Did You Read That? Question mark starring Megan. No, stop it. And me, Peter. <laughs> Every month or so, we bring you, well, we bring you eight total books. That's correct. Megan brings four, I bring four. Um, I pick two of Megan's to hear about in depth. She picks two of mine to hear about in depth. We talk about them in depth, and um, that's pretty much it. Yep. I don't know why I ended that sentence with comma and. I should have just been like, and that's what happens. It's okay. <laughs> I've been Peter. <laughs> um, but uh, we always also start with a joke. We do. I assume you have a joke for I, me. I do. Are you, are you ready? Yes. A Mexican magician told his audience that he would disappear on the count of three. He said uno, dos, and vanished without a trace. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> I like that one. Me too. Oh, I did also, we had some unfinished business. Oh, that's from like right. Two, See, I forgot already. Two episodes ago. So there was a, a werewolf question yes. that I was supposed to ask my partner, Cassie, and um, you reminded me of it. So it was basically, is there a way, let's say I've been turned into a werewolf, um, but I'm not currently werewolfed out. Right. I just look normal. There's no full moon. Yeah. Is there a way that I could tell Cassie that I've been turned into a werewolf that would cause her to believe me? So I asked her this question, and first she laughed and just kind of looked off into the distance. And I was like, that looks like a no. <laughs> and so she was like, so you can't, like, you can't turn into a werewolf in front of me. And I was like, no, the point of this is, like, I'm telling you this very seriously. Is right. there any way you believe me? Is there any way I can pitch this to you that you're like, this might be true? And basically what she's... Well, first she was like, well, first when you were telling me, you tell me so many weird things that it wouldn't uh, shock me to hear this. But I don't know if I'd believe you. And she's, I don't know if I'd believe you. <laughs> yeah. And then she was like, I think what I would do... I would ask you questions about it. Like, she'd be like, tell me what it was like when you transformed or when you were a wolf. And, like, give me a detailed account of how this happened. Um, and she's like, but I wouldn't be listening for the details of it so much as, like, your emotional presentation of it hmm. to see if it seemed realistic to me. Given her background, this makes sense. Yeah, she's she's got a counseling background. And she was also, like, in... Not so many words. She was like, you suck at acting, so I don't think you could pull it off and make me think that something had happened that hadn't happened. Yep. So she's like, if it seemed real enough, I might might believe you, kind of, but she was like, but then even if I believed you, if a week went by, even if it wasn't supposed to be the full moon or whatever, and you hadn't turned into a wolf, I think I'd start to go off the cliff of not believing you again yeah <laughs> so i mean i think that's fair really it's a pretty fair answer yeah yeah i was like okay well i'm gonna put down this as a no <laughs> i don't think there's any way i could convince you that this is true yeah and then she was like how did this come up and i was like i don't know man like that's not let's not get into that the beast in aisle 34 that's what it was yeah. i was like i know it was a book and someone had been transformed into a magical creature. Yep. And then I was trying to decide if the, it would be possible to convince anyone. Yeah. Yeah. 
I finished that book, by the way, and it ended depressing, so. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. The Beast in Aisle 34. Yeah, I think it's 34. Aisle something. Whatever. Yeah. The Beast in an Aisle. I'm sure if you put The Beast in Aisle whatever, yeah, it'll come Google up. will finish it for you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> or contact your local library. We'll look it up for you. Yeah. Just be like, uh, the one, it's like about a beast in aisle something. Yep. The wolf in aisle whatever. <laughs> the scenario that uh, Peter's girlfriend would not believe. Yep. The novel. Yeah. <laughs> I had uh, asked my brother this question as well, and he also was like, I don't think, I don't think so. It's <laughs> like, yeah, okay. There's <laughs> just no way you could convince <laughs> him. He said, if I saw it happen, I would probably believe it. But even then, I would start wondering if I had gone insane. Yeah, that was the other thing she said, was she was like, if you were in, very insistent on it, but I still hadn't seen you transform, I would start to be concerned. She was like, well, so we know that your dad has had serious mental health issues, and I would start to wonder if this was you manifesting those issues. <laughs> I was like, Yikes. that's completely fair. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess if I turned into a werewolf, I would have the problems of being a werewolf, in addition to the problems of nobody believing that I was a werewolf. Yeah, I mean, I think those two go hand in hand, yeah. to be frank. Yeah. I guess I guess record yourself. That's the only answer. Yeah, but then everyone's going to be like, well, either it's CG or I'm nuts. Yeah. Well, yeah. I could show it to her. I don't think she'd believe. You know, fortunately, her lack of belief in my acting, <laughs> video editing, you know, all of my skills yeah. would lend her to believe, well, like... obviously, he could never do the CG. Yeah, he couldn't. He couldn't create this, so <laughs> it must be true. <laughs> okay. So being not good at things comes to my advantage. Yeah. Okay. All right. I believe you are starting us off. Okay. Well, I brought four books this week, but really... You brought three. I brought three. Yeah. So the first one is called The Department of Truth by James Tinian, I think the fourth, but it could be the sixth or the fifth. Um, okay. I know it ends with a Roman numeral, and I think it's the fourth, but I couldn't remember. <laughs> All right. But if you search James Tinian, T-Y-N-I-O-N, you'll be fine. Okay. Maybe Google corrects that. Did you mean the fourth? <laughs> and you put the fifth? <laughs> Um, this is a comic book that's kind of about conspiracy theories. Okay. Um, and it's kind of like out in a nonfiction-y there. way. It sort of incorporates nonfiction conspiracy theories into a fictional scenario. Okay. And it's kind of out there and cosmic and weird. Okay. The next one is a book called "The Loneliness of the Long Distance Cartoonist" by Adrian Tomina. Okay. That's, I thought I knew where that was going, and then I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, I'm not exactly sure why the title is that, but... Well, you know, there's that... I think it's a book, The Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner. Yes, by Alan Stilltoe. But um, I'm not sure how this relates to that. Okay. But that seems to be the thing you do if you write a, a, a graphic novel or a novella, is you give it a very long title. Yes. This is basically about a bunch of minor humiliations he's suffered over his life as a cartoonist. Oh, fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not what I expected, but it's pretty entertaining. And then I've got The Wonder Trail by Steve Healy. Okay. Um, this is about a guy. It's kind of a travel book. He's going from the southern tip of Los Angeles 
all the way south through Mexico and Central America and South America to the southernmost point on South America. Oh, okay. Except I don't think it's quite the southernmost point because I think that's in Argentina and he's not going to Argentina for some reason. Okay. That he explained and I can't so remember. Chile? Yeah. Okay. So, so it's the like southernmost the southernmost point in Chile. Yeah. Okay. So basically traveling from uh, southern North America, United States, to super southern South America. All right. And so he puts in some history and things in there and amusing anecdotes throughout. Finally, we have a book called Tender Wings of Desire, allegedly written by Colonel Harland Sanders. <laughs> uh, this was a marketing scheme where Kentucky Fried Chicken, the restaurant, put out a romance novella one year on Mother's Day. <laughs> and I read it. You did read it. So... Those are the four choices I brought. All right. Well, I think we all know that I'm going to pick the KFC book, mm -hmm. but I'm going to pick it second because I'm going to make people wait for it. That's fair. <laughs> so I'm interested in The Wonder Trail. Okay. So The Wonder Trail is by Steve Healy, who he also did a book that you recommended to me before called The Ridiculous Race. Oh, Yes. So he's a comedy writer okay. for a bunch of TV shows, including like American Dad and some other stuff. I loved The Ridiculous Race. Yeah, The Ridiculous Race is him and another comedy writer, and they decide to have a race around the world. Yep, and from I, opposite directions. Yes. So <laughs> one starts going east, one starts going west. And there's some, I think the rule was they can't be on an airplane. They have to take non-airplanes yes. the whole way or I something. I believe that is true. Um, and so then that one was like alternating sections. Like one guy would tell yeah. how he was going this way. One guy would talk about going this way. Yeah. <laughs> so he's got some travel writing experience. He does. Uh, what I like about this book is, so he's traveling through uh, a lot of Central America, Mexico, South America. And I feel like you don't really read that much about travel and, like, history and stuff of that region. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. It just seems like, I mean, maybe not as many people travel that way or go through those countries, like, a little bit more in depth or whatever. Yeah. Uh, what I like about it is the book is very readable. It's got super short sections. So, you know, it's not like... Uh, trying to read like a James Michener novel or something right. where you're just like, well, buckle up. Cause like you got to read this in, you know, read this in four hour chunks and yeah. you'll be done in two months. Stay hydrated. Yeah. <laughs> this is like, you know, sections that might be like four to five pages and the longer ones are like 10 pages. Okay. Um, so that makes it super easy to read. And it's also like, he doesn't take himself super seriously, but he also mixes in some, some history of the different areas, which is pretty interesting. It's pretty wild, and, like, there are just some strange things that I did not know. I didn't know much about the history of that area. Mm -hmm. So he was talking about, like, for example, how the Aztecs were in, you know, parts of Mexico, and then the Spanish came and kind of took it over. But then also the Aztecs had taken over a lot of areas from the people who were there before them. Mm -hmm. 
So then the people who were there before the Aztecs ended up teaming up with the Spanish to fight the Aztecs. And it was just like, became a very complicated situation. But I guess there's some guy who was fighting with the Spanish and he kind of did like a written account of everything that happened. Or he, I think he actually told the story to someone who wrote it down many, many years later. Mm -hmm. And it's like horrifying. I mean, it's like horrors of war stuff from like, ancient times it just like it's like reading blood meridian except like this actually happened and this guy <laughs> saw it all and you're just like what even i mean um, i believe it the aztecs had a bloody culture yeah, in a was... lot of ways well when you've got like that culture you know you've got these conquistadors come in yeah. and it's like not they exactly were like, known for being peaceful no <laughs> I think you had two forces coming together who were both, like, powerful at the time and yeah. were both like, uh, no, I don't think I'm just going to give this up quietly. <laughs> I don't think at any point was that considered by either side. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it resulted in some pretty messed up stuff. All right. <laughs> anyway, as I'm telling you about this humorous book and whatever, but, like, it's kind of a... The way he goes over it is, like lighthearted without being disrespectful right and you know the historic sections feel a little different from the modern sections so i think that works in his favor he does a lot of like uh he apparently did a lot of reading before he went so he and he talks about the most interesting things that cover these different uh cultures or conflicts or all these different things um he talks a lot about just sort of like weird historical ephemera kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Or like there was some guy who was in the United States who went to, I think it was Nicaragua and just sort of like took over for a brief time, a very brief time. <laughs> <laughs> he somehow installed himself as a leader. And then everyone there was like, wait, what? <laughs> and that was like over very quickly. And like, <laughs> It's just like a lot of a lot of the weirdos from history yeah. who you know you might not learn about in history class, but who just did some like wild and strange things. Yeah. The the fun asides of history where you're like, I want to hear about that weird thing. Yeah. Yeah. There were two sections in particular that I thought, you know, kind of summarized the book for me. One was there's a short section where he's kind of describing early on like the the pitfalls of taking a trip like this and writing about it. And he's like, usually people either kind of make themselves out to be these heroic figures or like a complete bumbling fool. And it's like, you know, one or the other. Yeah. And he was like, let me tell you about a time I was both. So he went like, he was in, I think Mexico at that point and went on like rented a scooter and a guide was also on a scooter. And so was taking him somewhere they stopped on this bridge and somehow he had the keys to both scooters and dropped them both off the bridge into the water. <laughs> oh no. And he's like, I didn't know how I did it, but it just happened. And then the scooter guide was just looking at him like, dude. <laughs> and he's like, but then I got out and like got in the water and actually managed to find the keys and like save the day. And he's like, so I caused my own problem, but then I solved my own problem. I don't know if that's enough to make you a hero. 
<laughs> just kind of puts you back at baseline. Yeah, kind of. I would have to go with that, yeah. But so it's like that's the kind of attitude he has yeah. throughout the thing, which is like, you know, yeah, he tries and whatever. Right. Um, the other part that I really liked was there was a section where he was in, I don't remember where he was, but he was like, uh, had read a bunch about coffee before he went. Cause he was like, I decided to try and figure out where would probably have the best cup of coffee. And he was like, a lot of people agree that the best place to grow coffee is like on the shaded side of a no longer active volcano. Because the volcan- volcano erupts, and then the soil where a volcano erupts is very good. Okay. But then on the shady side is where the coffee grows, whatever. So he plans this all out, and he's, like, got this elaborate plan to go to this place where he's, like, this must be the best coffee in the world, and blah, blah, blah. And he's, like, he builds it all up, and he gets there, and he orders the coffee, and he's, like, it was fine. <laughs> And he kind of says something a little bit more about it eventually where he's like, I found that travel kind of works that way. Like things are sort of what you expect them to be in as much as like, if you think it's going to be the best coffee in the world, it might be, but then you've been thinking about how it's going to be the best in the world. So if it meets that bar, it's fine. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, it's, it's entertaining I'm not like the biggest armchair travel reader because uh, I'm not good at picturing places in my mind. Mm-hmm. But he keeps it he keeps it like flowing along pretty fast. I did see it, there are some people who really don't like it because they think. Uh, I guess he uses a lot of coarse language. Oh okay. I didn't notice. Yeah, I never noticed that either. Yeah, so I guess if you're like really opposed to that skip it but if you're just kind of like whatever on it 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 didn't even strike me so i think you'll be fine cool that sounds like fun it is yeah (laughs) it's a pretty good one it's a good like you know read it on your your lunch break or something because you can kind of dive in and dive out and it doesn't doesn't necessarily have like a thread you have to keep track of the whole time okay well, and like I said, I loved The Ridiculous Race, and I didn't realize he had anything out recently. So Yeah, it's fairly to, new. Might have to give that a try. Yeah, it's like one of the newest books I've read in forever. So I'm like, look yeah. at me go. <laughs> look at you. <laughs> Little Peter, all grown up. See? I can fly on my own now. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right, you ready for my titles? I'm ready. All right. I have The Way of the House Husband by <laughs> Kausuke Uno. Um, this is a manga, so like a gra- like a Japanese graphic novel about a man who was part of the Yakuza and then gives it all up to be a stay-at-home husband for his wife, who is a designer. <laughs> um, yeah. Like a, a fashion designer? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure because okay. she's like, she's normally at work while he's at home, like wrestling with the Roomba. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, just to, like, throw the curtain back, I came in, it was sitting on the table, and I was like, I have that on hold right now, like, waiting for it to show up. We have different (laughs) reading tastes, but not all the time. Sometimes. There's a Venn diagram, but there is a tiny little crossover. (laughs) Then I have Rebecca Ringquist's Embroidery Workshops by Rebecca Ringquist. 
which is a book about embroidery. Um, and normally I wouldn't bring a book that's just like how to embroider, but I really wanted to read this one because she's like a fiber artist and like an embroidery teacher. Like she's very accomplished at embroidery. And I, I half gave embroidery up because I felt like I wasn't doing it right or doing it well. And this, um, this book of her workshops, which she, like the classes that she teaches, she has a very different approach about like, you know, if you make mistakes, like you just go over them, you don't have to unpick everything and you don't, you can have knots on the back of your work and it can be messy. And it's like a, a way of bringing the history of, of needlework. Cause you know, there's a long history of women doing needlework, you know, and it's precise and it's perfect and it's neat. And she's bringing it into the, the modern world where it's like, we can have this connection to this activity that, that we've been doing for a very long time, but it can look very different and it can express like, it can be more artistic and I don't know. So interesting. Yeah. You've got like a, <laughs> so far a two book theme developing of like domestic things, but with a twist. Well, and then I guess my second two books also have a bit of a connection. So I must be in a weird frame of mind. <laughs> well, you're in the right place, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so my third book, is called The Sound of a Wild Snail Eating by Elizabeth Tova Bailey. And it's a memoir by a woman who, um, she's like a younger woman. She was traveling in Europe and she started feeling sick while she was in Europe. And when she got home, she had caught some like bizarre virus and it knocked her flat for like years. Um, She had chronic illness for a very long time and was bed bound. And one of her friends... Uh, brought her these, you know, violets from the woods near where she was staying. And while she was bringing the violets in, she found a snail. So she popped the snail in the the flower pot and the snail kind of became a companion. And so she's writing about how having this snail by her bedside ended up being like this great way of reconnecting with the outside world that had been difficult, like with people, because people are like, they come to visit her and then they're always like going, they have stuff to do. They have to go to the work. They have to go grocery shopping and she's just in bed all the time. Yeah. So having this companion snail, like, and she learned about (laughs) snails. It's, I don't know, it's a great book, but (laughs) it's a weird one. And then I have Crow Planet by Leanda Lynn Haupt which is about, um, she's a naturalist, um, like an amateur hobby naturalist. And she's talking about observing nature in cities that, you know, a lot of times we think of nature as being like out there and she's making a real effort to, to acknowledge that nature is, is everywhere, even in cities. And crows are a great example of that. And she's writing about crows and I'm a fan of crows. And so I'm reading it. (laughs) I was going to say, I feel like this is like maybe four or five over the time we've been doing this books. About crows. About a bird of some kind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like crows. For my birthday one year, I think it was my birthday, one of my friends um, who used to be a librarian here and she's now moved on, got me a crow call for my birthday. <laughs> it's one it of work? my favorite gifts. <laughs> and Does the it... same year, my other friend got me a crow finger puppet. So it's like, Okay. People are picking up what I'm putting down here. Yeah. <laughs> Does the crow call bring 
crows? Um, I, I think so. Um, I have not managed to successfully use it, but she did. Oh, okay. um, she went out and, and there are crows that live near in her neighborhood. I, yeah. As far as I can tell, there's no crows that live near me. Oh, gotcha. Um, but when she used it, she did the like, I'm here call. Cause it comes with this little booklet. that's like, these are kind of some of the standard calls. And a few like flew over to be like, what's going on over here? So. <laughs> huh. So yeah, those are my four. All right, I'm torn about which ones. Um, I think I'd like to hear about the sound of the wild snail eating first. Yeah. I feel like there are probably some people out there who've got some, you know, chronic illness yeah. stuff going on right now, or yeah, might be feeling that that kind of thing. I mean, it's such a nice book because she's, you know, she's an outdoorsy person who is literally like trapped indoors. Right. She can't get out of bed. And this, she's, she's a little bit bewildered by the idea that her friend would put a snail in this flower pot. Um, (laughs) And then, then like she wakes up the next morning and there's a like a square hole in a letter that had been like propped up next to the next to a lamp on her bedside table and she figured out that the snail it's a nocturnal snail and while she's sleeping at night it would crawl around and find like it was eating paper <laughs> you know like um and the it she talks about things she learned later like the way a snail's mouth is uh-huh. um it has a ton of teeth it turns out okay um and it, but anyway, that's why there's this square hole. It has to do with like the anatomy of, of a snail. And so she started putting like dying flowers next to the flower pot and it started eating those. And slowly they, you know, she started becoming very attached to the snail to the extent that now it has like a full terrarium. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, like it's um, like her friends would bring like, um, you know, an interesting piece of moss or, um, it turns out that if you catch a wild snail, you should feed it mushrooms. Oh, okay. Um, it loved portobello mushrooms. <laughs> she put a slice in there and it would just over the course of a week, it would just like sleep next to it. It loved it, this mushroom so much. <laughs> Expensive taste though. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess if you got like one mushroom, that well, probably isn't too bad. Yeah. It's just like a, a slice of a portobello because it's only, it's only a small snail, but <laughs> <laughs> but she, you know, she spends her time observing the snail because sleep is a weird thing when you have a chronic illness because it's like you're constantly resting, so you don't often get a whole lot of real deep sleep. Right. And she can hear the snail eating. She said it sounds like something just munching on celery. Oh, weird. Like, but very quiet. <laughs> That's so weird. Yeah. I wouldn't think you'd be able to hear that. Yeah. So she talks about like she'll wake up and the snail will have moved and she, you know, has, she's looking through the terrarium to see like where did it go and it's this weird connection to another creature and to nature and the outside world and something's happening like in a way that she didn't have before the snail because she had like a caretaker but she's just in a room like she doesn't have the energy even to sit up so she can't, you know read books she can't right. hold a book like right. so she's just kind of there and finally she has this this creature to almost interact with and like have a connection with and 
learn about and <laughs> observe and all that. Yeah. So it's just this kind of quiet, meditative um, memoir about a person who unexpectedly grew to love snails when she was sick. Huh. Yeah. Uh, you know what I hate about myself? What? As you're explaining this, I was like, this is like a minor twist away from being like a horror novel. <laughs> You know, where it's like, the snail is driving her insane. And, like, I could swear the snail was, like, purposely eating loudly right when I was about to fall asleep. And then, like, the snail is eating words into my paper. <laughs> well, you know, you can, I, hey, take it and run with it. Well, it's like this cute story. And then my brain is like, oh, but what if the snail was a monster? <laughs> That There's does sound... stopping there from being a snail monster. It's just not that particular story. That's true. Yeah, it sounds nice. I mean, I feel like a lot of people during lockdown time and stuff, too, were yeah. kind of experiencing some of that or yeah, yeah, experiencing some of, like, their neighborhood nature, mm -hmm. I guess. Like, you know, we saw lots of bunnies and we're getting invested in, like, where are all these bees living? There must yeah. be bees living around here, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, it's a, it's a really nice story. I don't know, like urban nature. I'm not, I, I don't camp, like I, right. don't, I don't hike. I think we're on record as being like, I, I'm not a sun person. Right. So the, the idea of things like urban nature like this, I find very appealing ways that you can still like observe nature and feel a connection to nature without having to like go out there into like the middle of Yosemite. Right. Like nature. And it also, it, I think it, it makes us a little more accountable. It's like, this is still nature. Like, and if we want to be dumping our trash in the middle of the road, like let's maybe think about that as it really is. It's like, we're still, we're still making nature gross. Yeah. Like, even if it's a city. <laughs> yeah. That is like the worst. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is it is a different way of looking at it. Like, yeah. it is still part of everything and yeah. all that. It looks like it's fairly short, too. It's very short. It's less than 200 pages. And um, it's a small book. Like, it's not very tall, I mean. Yeah, like, the dimensions are kind of yeah. non-standard. And it, there are all of these really charming drawings of snails. Um, like, there, the snail will be in the top left corner, and then a few pages later, it'll be on the bottom of the right page. It's like the snail's moving around on the page. It's really, huh. it's just like a, it's just a nice read. Very like, pleasant. Yeah. Experience. Yeah. Good. Yeah. That sounds really good. I like it a lot, and it's one that I actually bought a copy of. We do have it in our library collection, but I happened to be meeting a friend near a tattered cover, and so I was waiting oh, for her, yeah. and I was browsing, and I knew that this was on my reading list. And I was like, I'm just going to buy it and read it while I wait. There you go. Yeah. That's the danger. Yeah. That's the danger of being a book lover. I know. You got to be like, let's meet at the 7-Eleven. <laughs> well, we were meeting in a movie theater, but the movie theater is directly next door to a tattered oh, cover. Oh, see? There you go. But it's fine. I like to support local bookstores. It's fine. That's true. That doesn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> And actually, I can envision myself picking this up and just reading like a random chapter at some point when I want something kind of calm and nice to read. Yeah. So I, I think I would read more of it. Okay. Even after, you know, 
I like that. I like the variety of reading experience, you yeah. know, where it's like some books, it's like you read uh, Intensity, right? Yeah. Like all in one go and it was <laughs> apt title. Yeah. And then this is like kind of the opposite yeah. end, but also a good feeling. Yeah. Just yeah. a different kind. I mean, I didn't, it's the same thing. Like I didn't want to put it down, but for a, the exact opposite reason. Right. Because I just felt like comfortable in it. Yeah. Like you just kind of want to continue living in that world exactly. of that book. Yeah. Good deal. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> well. All right. You know what I'm going to say. Okay. <laughs> so Tender Wings of Desire. Yeah. Uh, supposedly by Harlan Sanders. Right. So I'm probably going to spoil some of this book. And the reason I'm going to do that is because I do not recommend reading it. <laughs> it's not good. Um, not even as like a lark. I th here's the thing. I think as a lark, the best thing about it is that it exists. Right. You know, and that it's got, it's got, the cover is amazing because it's kind of like a classic, you know, kind of like a clinch cover, but it's Colonel Sanders, but he's in a sleeveless shirt. So you can see he's got his tickets to the gun show. Right, right. And he's holding a lady who kind of looks like a romance novel version of a soccer mom i guess yeah i was gonna say like your traditional almost like 90s housewife i would say yes and she's got her purse and like what's clearly car keys and stuff like that which brings me to my first issue with right. the book um i thought this was gonna take place in modern-ish times it definitely doesn't because so i'm reading through this book and okay the book is about our hero madeline and okay. My my main complaint about the book is that it's, like, the most paint-by-numbers romance I've ever read, which isn't saying a lot. But it, it felt like something that it was, like, I could plot this out. Right. And if I could plot this out, it does not need to be written as a romance <laughs> novel. <laughs> so, Madeline is uh, a lady. What do you call that? Like, lady whatever you oh know. like an aristocrat or yeah. like a society like she's a fancy lady okay so yeah she's a lady but not just like a, a woman she's like lady right. whatever right um and she's she's titled yes yes and she's supposed to marry some duke um can't throw a, a stone without hitting a duke in romance they seem to be everywhere yeah which is ironic because there's actually generally like one or two <laughs> yeah well and Okay, this was my perception of romance, but you can tell me if I'm right or wrong. Okay. I feel like when we've, we're in this scenario where it's like, lady is betrothed to a duke. Yeah. It's one of two things. Yeah. One is the version where it's like, the duke is the worst person ever. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, well, this is obviously a terrible idea. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes the flavor of that is like, well, she's marrying this duke because it'll elevate her family into a position where... That is usually the reason, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, or the other one is, like, somehow she just doesn't see that he's horrible, but everybody... Something like that. The other version is that the duke is not a bad guy. It's just she doesn't feel the spark. You know, she doesn't feel, like, mm. much love for him. Um that can happen, although I would kind of lump that into the same category where it's like the Duke is not the one. Yes. Whereas you do have the other version, which is like the Duke is the Duke, but he's like an avowed bachelor or he's right. vowed never to get married or he's like a terrible rake who goes through like a woman every week. And, right. 
Um, and so the like he's the one, but he's not suitable. Right. Even though he's a duke. Right. The taming of the duke. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> this duke is the kind where it, if this felt more modern to me, because it was like, she's like, he's not a bad guy. I just don't really love him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know. Is that like from Duke times where you were real concerned about that? Anyway, so she decides to run away. So one night she like escapes her room, gets on a horse and starts riding away. Now it was at this point that I was like, wait a minute. And I went back to the cover and was like, okay, this lady definitely has car keys on the cover. Mm-hmm. So I was like, there are a couple possible answers here. The one I most think is most likely, somebody came up with this idea to do a romance novel for KFC and they just started working on the cover and the novel at the same time. And so the the two, the writer and the artist never spoke and were unaware of each other's work. And so then at some point, someone was maybe like, oh, crap, we have this modern cover. We have this whatever. The other thing is I was like, maybe the cover is supposed to be like, that's the reader of the novel that's being what I think. swept away by Colonel Sanders. Because the Duke is not Colonel Sanders either. No. And this is a marketing thing. Like, yes. this is a way to get people to buy KFC. So I think that this is them saying, like, let Colonel Sanders whisk you away. Right. Buy our chicken. Right. <laughs> don't, don't work over a hot stove. Instead, right. come out. Which I get, but also it was, it was like doing things to my brain. Yeah. Because I was like, this is like reading a novel where you've got Fabio on the cover and it's a pirate ship. But then it shows the reader of the novel on the show. Yeah. Thing. And I'm like, that would be so weird. Like, they would never yeah. do that. I mean, it is weird, but that's what happens when you have a book that's being published for marketing and not as a book. That's true. That's true. Yeah, it's, that's what was so strange about Because it, it looked, it's a totally competent looking cover. Mm-hmm. It looks like something from like, what's the, there's a lady who does a bunch of Beverly Jenkins. Uh-huh. Is she the like, uh, Christian romance pioneer No, I think you're thinking of um, Jeanette Oak. Maybe, yeah. It It looks just like that. But then it's also done in this weird way. I'm like, whoever did this, I think has done this kind of thing before. And I wonder if they were like, are you sure that that's what you want? Okay. I mean, whatever. Like your KFC doesn't usually come to me. So whatever. Yeah. Anyway. She escapes on horseback. She ends up at a bar. Where a bar? Yeah. A, a seaside tavern, I should okay. say. <laughs> um, so it's like, like a... Titled young ladies don't go to bars. <laughs> well, that's part of romance. the scandal here. Is So she ends up at this seaside tavern and gets a job there because she just does. Sure. Um, one thing I did like in this book... Okay, the book is not, like, incompetent. It's just not interesting. Right. But one thing I did like is the lady who runs the bar has a name that is not pronounced the way it's spelled. Okay. So what the writer does is they do something like uh, our main character sees the name in writing, and then the bar owner is like, don't even look at that. Here's how you say my name. And explains it. And I was like, thank you. Because I had no idea. What was the name? I can't remember. Oh, I want to know the name. I compare it to something like, you know, Siobhan. Right. The Irish name, and that's spelled like S-I-O-B-A-H-N or, or something. Or Neve, N-I-A-M-H. Yes. 
where I'm just like, yeah, that looks nothing like I would expect it to. Yeah. So anyway, um, she's working at the bar, and she meets a, a fisherman named Harland. Harland. And, yeah. And Ooh. he's got a, an unusual American accent and uh, wears glasses. Okay. <laughs> and so she falls in love with him. And also a very uh, confusing... I could not figure out what era this was supposed to be. But she uh, she and Harlan sleep together almost immediately. And I was like, this is scandalous. Like, I can't believe this is happening. I mean, that's not unknown in historical romance. Yeah. But it... I, okay. <laughs> My complaint about this is I was like, listen, I either kind of want this to be like super gentle or super graphic mm -hmm. and it went right down the middle where it's kind of like oh they're heading towards the bed and fade to black ah. and i'm like oh forget that like i kind of get it like you're not gonna have a super graphic scene with colonel harlan sanders <laughs> like that's probably not gonna work yeah but at the same time i'm like if you're gonna go so far as to have a romance novel for your marketing, like, go all the way. Yeah, or just don't have them sleep together before, like, the end of the book. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you here. You can make it You can make it wholesome. Yeah. Or you could make it super unwholesome. I would just prefer they pick a lane. Yeah. Instead of just going right down the middle. Yeah. Um, anyway, so she tells Harlan about her past and whatever. And the thing that happens in romance that I'm guessing there's a, a term for, where it's the part in the romance novel where they have to, these two people who are in love have to be split apart for... Third act breakup slash the dark moment. There you go. <laughs> I was like, I know there's got to be a term for this. Because what happens is she comes across correspondence that's meant for him. Mm -hmm. She reads it. She finds out that he's like a chicken restaurant magnate. <laughs> naturally who has like he left the united states after establishing a chicken empire i think that's the term that's used several times it's a chicken <laughs> empire and um so she she discovers that he's this chicken magnate and they're like whoever he left in charge of it like his dad or his brother or something is is ailing and not long for this world so they're like you need to come back and you know regain your colonelship or whatever <laughs> we need the colonel take the helm <laughs> yeah so the reason that they sort of split apart is because she feels betrayed because it turns out he was this colonel all along he had he was this you know had a chicken empire while he was pretending to be this mild-mannered fisherman <laughs> which makes no sense yeah because you're like well, I mean, he's living the life of a mild-mannered fisherman because he wanted to get away from this thing. And he basically did the exact same thing she did. She was like this lady. She escapes. He was like this magnate. He escapes. And so, anyway, it ends with this scene that um, she goes up to this cliffside that's made a couple appearances. And I was like, oh, my gosh, she about to jump off a cliff because, <laughs> because she's so betrayed by Harlan Sanders? And then I was like, there's no way that's going to happen. <laughs> that would be a big surprise. It would have been amazing. And I, also, I would have been like, maybe this is a test because they wanted to see who actually read the book. Because right. <laughs> if you actually read the book, you wouldn't talk about anything other than that she threw herself off a cliff at the end. <laughs> but um, 
He so he goes after. They're on the cliff, and basically they have a fight. She's walking away, and she's like, uh, she I don't I can't remember how the blocking of this scene works, but basically she's like, if he turns if he calls after me while I'm walking away, if he calls out to me, I'll I'll then he truly go back. cares. Yes, <laughs> and so that's what happens. Of course. So then there's like a coda. They're on a ship going to America. And uh, Madeline's little sister is going to marry the Duke because she liked him anyway. So that all works out, too. All right. Which I was like, I do not care, but fine. Yeah. So here's what sucks about this book. It's just so, like, I mean, that's, like, the beats of the story. Yeah. And that's all there is. And I was like, y'all had an opportunity to do something weird. Yeah. And you really didn't go for it. So I did want to make a brief pitch. All right. For a better story. Okay, I'm here for this. And let's, also let's for some brief pitches for some other fast food restaurants Ooh. to do their own series of romance. All right. I skipped lunch, so I'm especially ready. <laughs> okay. So, first of all, I was like, this should take place in the United States for reasons that will become clear. All right. The Duke that she's going to be married to shouldn't be a Duke, but should be a hamburger magnate. Okay. Right? But she just doesn't care for hamburgers. And she just doesn't... They taste bland to her. They're not interesting. And she needs more herbs and spices in her life. <laughs> How many herbs and spices? Eleven? I don't remember Seven to eleven? <laughs> so, she, so she runs away to rural Kentucky and uh, ends up working on a chicken farm for a uh, well-to-do southern gentleman. Mm-hmm who's known for his, you know, all white suits and all this stuff. Now, the big great thing, too, is that uh, he catches her eye, or she catches his eye because she brings her lunch to work every day in a red and white striped pail. (laughs) (laughs) And anyway, then they hit it off and do romance. Sure. Okay, that's that's my KFC pitch. Okay. Then I was going to do one for Popeyes. Okay. But I discovered... Did you know that Popeyes is not named after the Sailor Man, but is named after Popeye Doyle, hero of the French Connection? Oh. Played by, I think, Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman. And was based on the uh, book that came out like two years before the movie. So the book came out in 1969. Popeye's Chicken Restaurant opened in 1972. And that's who, that's what the name is based on. Huh. Why? Uh... The guy who opened Popeye's opened up basically a KFC knockoff. Didn't succeed. So then he tried a new spicier type of chicken and wanted a new name. And he liked the French connection. So he named it Popeye's. Okay. okay. So I was like, you already have a book based on, like, yeah, you have your roots in a book. This is amazing. <laughs> so I was like, you all are done. Um, Popeye's doesn't get a book. Popeye's doesn't get a romance. All right. Now, I would be willing to go for it, and I was thinking that would be something like kind of a Civil War-type romance novel, but it would be the Chicken Wars of, you know, I don't know, 2019. Okay. The Chicken Sandwich Battles. Mm. The great Popeye's Chicken Sandwich scarcity of whatever year that was. Yeah. Yeah. They're running out of chicken sandwiches, you know, a plucky young lady has to... Yep. Like a like a gulag, all with their like shawls. <laughs> it's a dystopian chicken sandwichless future. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, okay, Wendy's. Okay. 
Wendy's uh, romance novel is basically, it's like Wendy is your classic sort of like, you know how in a romance, a rom-com, mm-hmm. there'll be a lady who's like a workaholic, goes to a, her magazine mm-hmm. job, and it's just like nothing yep. but work, 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 work. Yes. That's her. That's Wendy. Okay. Of course, she's got like shocking red hair. Of course. Um, but then she comes up with the, uh, a new revolution in the industry, which is square patties. Oh, my God. How? Yeah. How? And so then she gets in a big conflict with, uh, you know, the handsome young marketer who has designed an entire marketing scheme around circular patties. Mm. And so Get then they, the times, they butt heads. <laughs> but will the butting heads lead to romance? <laughs> so Probably. A, an enemies to lovers workplace romance. Exactly. I like it. Um, McDonald's. Okay. Is this a clown... <laughs> Thing. No. Okay. I thought about it. <laughs> but I was like, I don't think the world's ready for a clown romance. I am definitely not I ready. I just don't think it'll work. I've read a lot of romance. I would skip that one. <laughs> um, in the McDonald's one, it does involve time travel. Okay. Okay. A, a young lady who's a marketer for McDonald's travels from the early to mid-90s to present day. On purpose? Yes. Okay. I can't, I, for reasons. Okay, that's fine. She's horrified to discover that McDonald's has completely abandoned all of their McDonald land characters and all the whimsical fun of McDonald's. No more Grimace. No more Grimace. No more Fry Kids. Where's Birdie? Where's Mayor McCheese? All gone. So she has to convince an uptight modern marketer that she's assigned to work with that it's time to go back to the fun, magical side of things. And she has to show him there is a whole magical world out there. Now, he's like, uh, you know, uh, real against that stuff because he's had some past tragedy. Ah, yes. He's a widower. He doesn't know how to love. That's right. Yeah. He doesn't think there is any magic in the world anymore. And she's here to show him. Through the medium of Mac tonight, that there is, <laughs> there's still magic in the world. Okay, Burger King. This is a, a romance about a guy who's cursed by a wizard. So he's a king. He's cursed by a wizard to be a frightening-looking, plasticky king man. Oh, like in the commercials. Yes. The creeper king. Exactly. Gotcha. So he was a he was a beloved king, you know, a nice general, nice guy. And then he was cursed to look like a sort of plastic, scary mannequin come to life who can never close his eyes. <laughs> can he find love with his new caretaker? Did you know they made a video game out of that thing? That, yes. Um, sneaking, sneak King? Yeah. Yeah. Also, so what? because he's turned into like a plastic man, he can't taste food anymore. Oh. So he hires this lady to tell him what food tastes like. So she eats the food and describes it to him so that he can sort of experience eating again, and they fall in love. Of course. Okay, the last one is Arby's. Um, this, <laughs> this is about a woman who's named Orsay So, but it's spelled horsey sauce, <laughs> but she's French. <laughs> and so... <laughs> already know on this one. <laughs> She opens up a sandwich outpost in a mining town in the mining town of Arby, Colorado, 
during the gold rush. Okay. Um, but then, so she opens this lunch counter and she's selling these sandwiches. And then uh, an evil mining company comes in and tries to take over the entire operation. And so she has to work with a guy who has a heart of gold, but never seems to find it with his pickaxe to see if they can oust the uh, evil mining company nice. together. Thank heart you. of gold, but can't find it with the pickaxe. Very nice. Thank you. I think you have a future in the genre. <laughs> The genre of the fast micro food. genre of marketing <laughs> romance novels. <laughs> so anyway, that's I think that's all I have to say about Tender Wings of Desire. So this is a thing that exists. Yeah. Um, I, for one, would like to thank you for your uh, sacrifice. You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah, I put this in the category of books of I read it, so now you do not need to bother. Yeah. Because uh, it's not worth your time. Did you know, so... I don't know what's going on at KFC, but they made nail polish that smells like fried chicken. I also saw, I think I came across Tender Wings of Desire because they did a collaboration with Crocs to make Crocs shoes that look like chicken wings. And they actually have like a... We're um, back. Yeah, we lost battery power. We're, we're, we keep thinking we're all professional and then something terrible happens. You know what? It's for the best. <laughs> All right. I am ready to hear about Way of the House Husband. <laughs> Even though you're going to be reading it soon. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I, I think I could, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's about the experience. It's not like there are big spoilers. I agree. So I think you'll be fine. So the Way of the House Husband is about this guy who was like the number one Yakuza in, in town, like... He's called the Immortal Dragon. That's what people call <laughs> him, the awesome. Immortal Dragon. No one and is ever going to call me anything as cool as the Immortal Dragon. <laughs> I don't think anybody gets called the Immortal Dragon. <laughs> so this opens after all of this happens, but at some point, this you know very scary-looking Yakuza guy with like the scar running down his forehead and all the tattoos and everything, he walked away from it all, walked uh -huh. away from his life of crime, because he married a woman who is a designer, mm -hmm. and um, he is supporting her career by being a house husband. Okay. So he stays at home. Um, he makes breakfast first thing in the morning, which includes like making bento boxes with like little rice balls that look like bear heads. <laughs> <laughs> so like, he's like fully invested. Fully in... invested. <laughs> okay. Chops up carrots to look like flowers and stuff. <laughs> like. We're talking, he does not do this halfway. He's fully in. Now, does she appreciate this or yeah. is she like, eh? Yeah, no, I think she appreciates okay. it. Yeah. Good. So, you know, she's not in it that much. This is mostly about like his daily routine while she's at work. Yeah. But she is in it occasionally. Okay. So he goes and he does like the shopping and he has points cards for all of the shops that he goes to. And he's still wearing like, this like long lean black suit, but uh -huh. over it all, he's wearing an apron that has a Shiba Inu on it, <laughs> <laughs> which I find delightful. One of the cuter dogs yep. available. Yep. <laughs> and every once in a while he'll run into somebody from his old life and they're still like afraid of him. And he's like, not about that anymore. Now he follows the way of the house husband. <laughs> and uh, there's the, there's this whole, there's this whole scene where his wife is bringing home her boss. And so he's like, oh, the big boss is coming for a visit. I'm on it. Classic so setup. So he, like, 
sets the Roomba up because the Roomba is going to, and he's like, okay, the Roomba, he, he like checks its work and it's like, yeah, the Roomba can vacuum. But then the Roomba <laughs> sucks up the cat's tail uh-huh. and the cat like leaps onto the, the kitchen cabinet and knocks wine down and whatever. And of course, that's when the wife and the boss walk in and he's lying in the hallway covered in red wine. Like, looking like, <laughs> like a murder scene. Out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's just, it's a concept story very uh-huh. much. It's about like, what if this super tough, scary guy just decided to be a mild mannered house husband <laughs> and it, and it follows it all the way through and it's like funny and charming and it's several volumes at this point. Mm-hmm. And I have volume two on hold right now because I was like, I'm going to continue with this. This You're is, in. I find this strange in a very entertaining and delightful way. <laughs> well, it sounds like also, so he's gone from, you know, a uh, gangster to house husband. Yeah. But it's like, what if he applied the full maximum effort to yes. house husbanding that he was applying to being like the most notorious feared 100%. gangster? <laughs> That is 100% accurate. It's like, like... He's, like, throwing elbows at sales and right. stuff. Like, <laughs> his, uh, his wife is into this particular anime series, and uh, he's looking for the Blu-ray discs. Like, he's searching down the <laughs> Blu-ray discs for this weird anime series about little, like, chibi cops or mm-hmm. something like that. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's just... It's strange, but delightful yeah it's it's a delightful strange where you're like who thought of this and i want more (laughs) (laughs) well it sounds a little like there's this movie i saw it was actually pretty good i think it's called calamari wrestler (laughs) okay and it's like about pro wrestling and this guy gets a somehow he gets like cursed or something so that he turns into a giant squid um and then it becomes a little bit of an Air Bud story where it's like, wow. is a squid really allowed to wrestle? That doesn't, you know, and it just goes through a lot of these permutations. And then, you know, the sort of ending is his rival has turned into an octopus. Oh. <laughs> so it's squid versus octopus. And they call it like the seafood showdown or something. You know? and, but what's funny about it is like, it's got this weird premise but all the characters in the movie are taking everything seriously. Yeah. Like, they aren't pretending like they're in some goofy world. Yeah. They're like, no, this is like a real wrestling thing. We're yeah. taking this very seriously. Yeah. I, it's the same in this, because, like, one of his... Uh, so when he walked away from the Yakuza, like, his gang kind of fell apart. They were like, yeah. what do we do without our fearless leader? And now there's this power vacuum, and one of his old followers, um, like he's getting threatened by a new gang in an alleyway or something. And uh, the house husband is walking to the store and they see him and they're like, it's the immortal dragon. Like (laughs) I gotta (laughs) leave him alone. (laughs) And uh, his, his old gang member is like, you can be tough by following the way of the house husband. I'm going to, (laughs) I'm going to learn your ways. Like I'm going to follow the way of the house husband. I'll continue to be your protege. (laughs) He's I, terrible at it, though. I he doesn't assume. get up until noon. Like, who's making breakfast? Where, where am I, Where's my bento box? <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I like that. The bumbling sidekick 
who was a bumbling Yakuza sidekick, is yep. now a bumbling house husband. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. Yeah. I, you know, I stumbled on it by accident. I was looking for a book to recommend to someone who was looking for like comics and graphic novels that were kind of funny. Mm-hmm. And so I was going through lists and things and I stumbled on this, The Way of the House Husband. And I was like, what in the world? I have to read it. And so I checked and we owned it and I was like, this is going home with me. <laughs> yeah. It's made like a little bit of a splash in the comics Has world. It? As, yeah. as just being kind of a funny concept and yeah. whatever. I always thought, like, um, with manga, too, I think a lot of people get intimidated by it because yeah. you see that, like, there's 34 volumes of this. Right. And but, you have to read it from, like, right to left. and Yeah. It's backwards. And yeah. Yeah. But, like, I just, I don't know. I always encourage people. I was, like, if I was the star of a manga, I would be volume one man. Because I just read a lot of volume ones and then just move on. Mm-hmm. Like, unless I'm super interested or super invested in the story, um, a lot of times I'll move on. Yeah. Or if I know if I know the story is complete. Right. And it's not, I'm not going to have to read a hundred volumes right. of this. Then I'll go for it. Yeah. I haven't read a lot of manga. I read another series called Emma, which uh-huh. is about a, it's, it's very like Victorian housemaid romance. That one was something like six or eight volumes, and it was done. This one, I think, is at five or six volumes. The latest is on order. Yeah. But it's not so intimidatingly long that I'm like, oh, I'm not jumping into that pool. It's not Naruto. Yeah, right. Yeah, and, like, they tend to be episodic, too, so Mm -hmm. you can kind of, like, read an amount that you like, and then you don't have to finish it. Yeah. But I like reading a lot of the volume ones just because I'm like, the concepts are so funny sometimes. Yeah. And I'm just like, okay. Like, I just, I like the variety. Yeah. And the sort of weird, like, takes it seriously and doesn't take it seriously that you don't really see in American comics as much. Mm-hmm. I don't think they walk the same line yeah. the same way. Well, and I will say for anybody who's doing our Adults Read On program, our mm. adult reading program, there is a badge for read a manga. Oh, okay. So this would be a great option for anyone who wants to earn that badge, I think, because it's just, it's odd and funny and kind of delightful. MyLibrary.us slash A-R-O. Correct. Adults Read On. That's right. Always happening. Always, Always happening. ongoing. Um, it will stop happening during the winter reading project, but then as soon as that's done, it will pick right back up. So yeah. there's always some kind of adult reading program happening. That's right. Yes. So if anyone's jealous of the kids in the summer. Yeah. You don't get it be. all year. Yeah. Don't be. They don't know <laughs> nothing. Adults are cooler. <laughs> all right. Should we go back over our four and briefly discuss the ones we didn't talk about? I think we should. Okay, so I had the ones I talked about were uh, The Wonder Trail, mm-hmm. Traveling uh, South, uh, Tender Wings of Desire by Harlan Sanders. Don't read it. Um, <laughs> People are going to read it anyway. I know. It's the curse of like some things are so much f- more fun to describe than to actually read. Yeah. But trust me, when you're on like minute 15 of reading this book, you're going to be like, I've made a mistake. Yeah. Uh, the Department of Truth. So this is a comic book series. 
it's hard to describe this without getting into maybe like what happens in the first two or three issues. So basically what is happening is there's this department, the secret government department. Uh, the Department known, of Truth? The Department of Truth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the titular Department of Truth <laughs> is operating, and there's another department um, that's sort of a misinformation department. Mm, the but Department what, of Untruth. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. The Undepartment of Truth? <laughs> <laughs> um, and what they've discovered is that uh, basically reality is shaped by what people believe. Mm-hmm. So in other words... Uh, this is all kind of fleshed out when they go to see that the earth is flat and they've gotten enough people to believe enough in the earth being flat that the earth actually becomes flat huh. for a brief time. And so then the department of truth has to sort of uh, convince people the other way in order for it to become not true. Okay. What is truth though? If, if lies become truth, then aren't they truth? Well, and that's kind of what it get in, gets into, because then our our hero in the story was, um, I think it's the McMurdo preschool trial. Mc... No, that's the base from yeah. the thing. Um, <laughs> it's some kind of pre- McMartin preschool trials. So this was in like during Satanic Panic, ah. and this was like an early case where... Um, a bunch of kids said a bunch of weird things. There was, like, a secret hallway in the back of the school that went down into, like, a cave and that the teachers were eating babies and all this stuff. Uh-huh. And this was, like, an early... Now, psychologists study this case because it's, like, a situation where the kids were being told things and then were repeating it back mm-hmm. but hadn't actually experienced any of these things. So one of the... The main character is the grown-up version of one of these kids who was actually involved in this and so now it's sort of becoming that like the fabric of reality has weakened to where maybe that really did happen because Mm -hmm. people believed it you know stuff like that okay um so it's kind of like it it doesn't cross the line it goes it walks up to the line of talking about like the danger of conspiracy theories and like the danger of what people believe versus mm-hmm. what reality is and how people's perceptions can kind of create reality. Um, but it doesn't cross over into getting like preachy about it. Okay. So it's, it's pretty enjoyable. Okay. The other one is the loneliness of the long distance cartoonist by Adrian Tomina. This is, I didn't know what this was going to be, but it's basically a series of humiliations he's suffered <laughs> through his life as a professional cartoonist. And like, there, some of them are like just personal things. Like he was doing an interview and he kind of hit it off with the interviewer. So she's like, we should go for a walk. And this was when he discovered, um, so they did the interview in a cafe and they ate breakfast. Mm-hmm. This was when he discovered that he's lactose intolerant. Oh no. <laughs> and it just goes horribly wrong. And then there's just like a lot of other little things that have happened to him. Like the, <laughs> there's a part where he's out, you know, years later with his wife, they're eating dinner somewhere. And they just happen to be sitting next to a couple who are discussing one of his books. Huh. And like <laughs> the lady read it and really liked it. And the guy also read it and did not like it. So he's making arguments about why it sucks. She's like saying, I don't know. I kind of like this. And he's like, that's what he's, he's manipulating you emotionally. you know. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and so the artist who did the book and his wife are sitting next to this argument happen. It's like, 
you know, and what are the odds? Yeah. Or there's one where he's like, he does a book signing like at a comic store and it goes pretty well and there's a decent crowd there. And so then he leaves and he's like, well, I don't, I got to eat dinner, but I don't really want to go to like a sit down restaurant by myself, you know? So he goes into like a Sabaro that's like right next door. And then he's sitting in the window, just eating by himself, like, you know, this sad sandwich or something. And a bunch of the people from the comic book store walk by and just see him there by himself. And he's just like, oh, this is even worse. Like, (laughs) everything's going wrong. So it's just a bunch of series of, like, little incidents like that that have happened to him that are... um, you know, they make you cringe, but they're right. amusing as they're well. They're like everyday and... humiliations that we're yeah. all like, well, that could have been better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like that really didn't go as I'd hoped. Yeah. You know, he practices for his interview with Terry Gross, and that goes horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. So, um, I brought The Way of the House Husband by Kausuke Uno, which we discussed. Uh, Rebecca Rinquist's Embroidery Workshops by Rebecca Rinquist, interestingly enough. <laughs> and that is, um, it combines both some instructional stuff, so um, how, to, how to pick your thread, how to pick your needle, um, how to make certain stitches, with also like her philosophy of embroidery. So um, like embracing mistakes and messiness and, you know, creating something that's a little more artistic and a little less rigid um, and, you know, like texture and knots and like letting, taking it all as an opportunity to, to make something a little bit different. So it's a little freeing. It's like, it doesn't have to be these perfect, neat, even stitches. Mm. It doesn't have to, you don't have to like wind all of the ends in so that it looks, you know, completely neat. Right. You can have a little chaos and see what comes of it. And I really like that. Nice. Makes me feel a little more free to, to experiment. A little permission to yeah, do it your way. Exactly. Nice. Then we have The Sound of a Wild Snail Eating by Elizabeth Tova Bailey, which we discussed. And finally, Crow Planet by Leanda Lynn Haupt. And she is like a hobbyist naturalist. Um, she had dreams of like living on some farm somewhere and she would be planting, you know, a garden while her daughter chases butterflies and all of this stuff. But uh, the reality is she lives in an apartment in Seattle. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and uh, they would still, like, it's still Seattle. Like, you can go places that are that are wild. You can go into nature, which she was doing. And uh, she kind of convinced herself that um, there was nature all over. Um, I think it started, she saw a crow on a wire outside of her room Um, She was writing a book of essays, and her editor said, you should write one about crows, which she didn't want to do. And then she (laughs) started researching them and became a little bit interested in them because they're an interesting bird. And this ended up, uh, she now has a whole book about crows. (laughs) She writes about how crows crows, um, are present wherever people are present. Um, And, you know, so if you're talking about, like, urban nature, crows are a, a big part of that. They are present on all of the continents except for Antarctica, but they are like, they, they live in like the very northern places of the world, like snowy northern places. They live in Africa. They're everywhere. Hmm. And 
So they're very much connected to people. And the more people you have, the more crows you tend to have. You know, they're eating our garbage. And um, so she, she writes about them, about them and about nature and about the way we think about nature and um, how we count ourselves as separate from nature when maybe that's not always either fair or right. Right. Like there's not such a barrier there between right. or a division. Yeah. Like, um, you can make yourself feel very, like, very proud of yourself for making a decision to buy, like, uh, a hybrid car. Um, but if you, that's because you're thinking about, like, its effect on nature out there. Uh-huh. But, you know, you have to consider the way that you're handling that car in the city. Like, that's also nature, like are you hitting a raccoon like, on the road? Like, you know, like, um, when you choose to drive it instead of to walk around the corner to the corner store. Like, right. Um, it's that kind of argument. So gotcha. a series of essays, some informational stuff about crows and the way like crow calls work. Um, they, we don't understand nearly half of what their crow calls mean. Um, they are part of the songbird, like, mm. What, Family, kingdom, whatever. Genus, whatever. Phylum, kingdom, <laughs> They're genus, species. They're considered part of songbirds. So they they make lots of noises. We're not always we're not entirely sure what they all mean. Mm. So it's interesting. I've I I like how smart crows are. Um, they're one of the only birds that play. You know, they solve puzzles. Um, they seem to care for other dying crows. Uh, so if there's one like on the side of the road and it's dying, they'll hang out around it and kind of care for it until it goes. And then they have crow funerals and they mourn. And huh. so there's it's just, just lots of cool information in here and also makes you think about nature and your place in it. And Wow. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. You had, uh, quite a variety this time. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like all over the place. I'm all over the place. That's great. <laughs> the works. That's like what this is, right? It kind of condenses it into a... Yeah, I guess so. I hope so. Because I was looking at my pile and I was like, well, I've got a craft book. I've got a weird <laughs> manga and a couple of books about nature. <laughs> so here's hoping. <laughs> okay. I was thinking uh, today about, you know, we always struggle to like end this in yeah. a useful way. I came, I invented a joke today. Okay. And I thought I could end it with a joke that I invented. Okay. To see what you think. I'm willing to try it. All right. Have you heard about um, the retriever that's been trained to retrieve objects from over 10 miles away? I have not. The story is a little far-fetched. But I'm cheap. I was so proud of this. Ran downstairs to tell Cassie about it, and she was like, eh, it's like a five. <laughs> it's not bad. Yeah, I was like, this is okay. Yeah, I mean, it's not bad. I was hope I was hoping for like a seven, but a five is okay, I guess. If anyone really enjoys a dad joke, I have an Instagram recommendation. There's a guy whose Instagram I think is Fit Dad CEO, <laughs> and it's pretty much entirely dad jokes. All right, um, and he does them as if he were telling one of his kids. So he's like, my son came up and. And uh, I said, hey, do you know about, like, joke setup? And his son has some, like, smart, clever answer. And he goes, no, dummy, punchline. 
and it's very funny and he's like very charming so if you like a good dad joke fit dad ceo fit dad ceo yeah i'm pretty sure that's it. that's a great name yeah <laughs> all right we did it we did it eight more books eight more books and uh we'll have september next no August. August. We, well, yeah, we'll record it towards the end of August. It may not go up until the beginning of September. And then we'll have spooky book season again. Spooky book. I'm excited. Me too. I can't wait. There's a new Daryl Gregory out. Mm. Yeah, I'm reading it. It's going to be a good spooky season. I can feel it. I hope so. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, use your library. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Bye.